MASH will not be presented at this time in order to bring you the following special podcast. It's almost live. Still alive. It's alive! A limited podcast series about Northwest Television's legendary TV sketch comedy show. An amazing phenomenon. Featuring intimate conversations with the writers, performers, creators. Rustlers, cutthroats, murderers, bounty hunters, desperados, bushwhackers, hornswagglers, horse thieves, bulldogs, train robbers, bank robbers, ass kickers, shit kickers, and messages. Your host was one of them. I think I would remember a thing like that. Pat Cashman. What's the matter with you? Almost live. <laughs> it's a real nice surprise. Still alive. Just a real nice surprise. Bill Nye the Science Guy. First of all, this episode must begin with a shocking revelation. Whoa. Wait a minute, I haven't even said what it is yet. Here's the deal. The man known as Nye believes in crazy conspiracy stuff. You know, nutty things like Newton's law of universal gravitation, kooky notions like electromagnetism, thermodynamics, relativity, and even, yes, dare he say it, climate change. Oh yeah. And get this, he also thinks that ideas not supported by observation and real data, or science if you will, have more rigor than ideas based on pure opinion, somebody's gut, or religious faith alone. Yes, what a whack job is the science guy. And yet, in these days when the science deniers and fabulists are lined up like the supervillains in a Batman comic, William Sanford Nye stands as a stalwart exemplar of the power of intellect, reason, and honest, provable fact. What a radical. So how did a kid from the tiny hamlet of Washington, D.C. become such a big deal? Beats me, and it beats Nye, too, perhaps, as you will hear. Nonetheless, he's become a full-fledged American icon, a genuine institution, a major brand. Beyond his time on Almost Live, and we'll get into that, of course, because that's what this podcast is supposed to be about, the Nye guy has compiled a resume longer than Benjamin Franklin's. Yeah? For one thing, Franklin was never on Dancing with the Stars. Dancing the Cha-Cha-Cha. Bill Nye and his partner, Tyne Steckline. Beginning in 1993, his wildly successful science show for kids. It wasn't called that. It was called Bill Nye the Science Guy Show. And it aired simultaneously on both commercial and public TV. That's the first show ever to do that. It ran for five years and 19 Emmy Awards. Now, that alone might make for a landmark career. But the science guy was just getting started. Today, he has pretty much a continuous TV presence. He's a best-selling author, comedian, mechanical engineer, actor, and indefatigable science advocate. An entire documentary has been produced about him. I was interviewed for two hours as a part of that documentary. I was cut entirely from it. But I'm not heartbroken about it. I'm not. It's cool. Really. It's okay. Cashman, you want to stop the recording? No. No, I'm fine. We can always stop the recording. I said I'm fine! Okay. 
Bill is also the CEO of the Planetary Society. He's developed a sundial that is riding on the Mars Exploration Rover right now, and he's received a number of U.S. patents, including a design for a digital abacus. Damn it! He beat me to it. Currently, among all his other activities, he hosts a terrific podcast called Science Rules. It's one I listen to when I'm out for a run, you know, to get away either from the travails of daily life or from the law. He's also a fellow, or perhaps I should say guy, on the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Among other things, that committee investigates extraordinary claims such as the one I started about how this podcast is the top-rated one in the world. Nonetheless, this man, Nye, is a guy who puts his science where his mouth is. He's passionate, sincere, dedicated, and about 5'11 and a half. He has places in both L.A. and New York, and I caught up with him in one of them doing the dishes. Hey there, Bill Nye, if that is your name. Yes, now is this audio only? Yes, it's audio only, so I don't need to see you actually doing dishes, but a little clattering would be okay. Uh, let's see what I got here. I love how how humble it is that you're doing dishes. Well, who's supposed to do them? Uh, well, you should have servants by now in your career. Oh, uh, yeah, sure I should. Okay, let me cross-circuit to this better microphone. Okay, good, good. Better headset. Wait, wait there. Yeah, I really did think it was three o'clock and Christine's like, dude, Bill, Christine's your assistant. All right. Uh, She should never, she should never call her boss dude, but that, that's that's your relationship. Well, the other stuff that she calls me, I didn't really want to reveal to you. (laughs) Fair enough. It's pretty grim. You sound good. You sound good right right now. You're on the other. Yeah. So I'm using the fancy Sam Tom Samsung Q2U microphone. Oh God. It sounds rock solid. This is the best recording I've had so far. I'm going to have to go record everybody over again. No, I use the, you know, I I do a podcast. This is the thing I I know. I, I listen to your podcast when I go running every day. I love you, man. And um, I also have uh, some anechoic foam. Yesterday, we had Tony freaking Fauci on the podcast. Cool. I've had him on four times. I mean, like for reals. And and what's the bottom line from him? We don't have this tiger by the tail. We're riding the tiger. Mm-hmm. And the tiger's going to go where it wants to go. You know, that's exactly what Dr. Buck Owens used to say. I've got a tiger by the tail that's playing the sea. Yeah, he had it right on the nose. Bill, you're a busy guy, so thanks for indulging this little podcast thing today. Pat, understand, Seattle, almost live, saved my life, made me who I am. I mean, I... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, so let's get started. Okay, here we go with... Bill Nye, the science guy. And now we are underway. The slow talkers... Of America? Of America. <laughs> I am the president and recording secretary. Secretary of the S T O. Hey, what does that stand for? Slow 
talkers <laughs> of America. Ladies, are your ingots dusty? Do you need new ingots? You know them. <laughs> Bob and Ray. Ladies, dull, corroded steel ingots can make even the most attractively furnished room look dead and lifeless. Don't let your friends think you're a slovenly housekeeper just because your ingots are too far gone to polish. Yeah, Bob and Ray. Yes, for the youngsters, Bob and Ray were a radio team in the late 40s, 50s, and 60s. You are Mr. Nelson, uh, Alfred E. Nelson, am I correct? That's in that? right, and the book I wrote is a history of the United States. Well, now, there are quite a few questions I'd like to ask you about it. First of all, as I remember, you had Abraham Lincoln driving to his inauguration in an automobile. Did you check on that at all? Well, uh, there are several glaring errors in the book uh, that unfortunately I didn't catch. You know, that was one of them. Uh, referring to the father of our country as uh, Nelson Washington. That was another one. You know, actually, I was thinking of my own last name there, you know. Actually, his real name, I think, is George. Yeah, well, you have, uh, you have a number of things like that in the book here. And uh, I think you had the editor of Poor Richard's Almanac as Benjamin French or something yeah, like that. Yeah, instead of French, it should have been Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. yeah, Bob and Ray. Well, I was listening to some old Bob and Ray bits, and they did uh, several episodes of a routine called Mr. Science. Are you aware of that? Uh, I've heard of it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, their Mr. Science thing was that this, uh, one of the guys would portray a very overenthusiastic kid, and he would be saying, hey, Mr. Science, I can't wait to tell my friends about this. And, and I'll play an example here in a minute. But they always ended with Mr. Science kind of turning dark and putting the little kid in danger. Uh, he, like he was teaching him about gravity, and then he made, made him jump, uh, jump off of a, of a ladder, and he hurt himself. So uh, Just a little, though. Yeah, just a little, just a little. <laughs> and I always thought, uh, when I heard the Mr. Science, I thought Bill Nye, the science guy, was like that, except you were the guy getting hurt. You always made yourself the victim and never the kid. Gravity also affects people. Now, if you just climb up on this stepladder, I'm going to show you an interesting experiment. It involves you. About the third step will be fine. Okay, Mr. Science, what now? No, jump off, Jimmy. Jump off? Okay. Are you all right, Jimmy? He Science, that hurt. Well, what? I'm going to tell my father about it. Wait a minute, Jimmy. Wait a minute. Come back. Yeah, I took, uh, there were no stunt people yeah. on the Science Guy show. I loved it. Well, we're going to get to how the Science Guy show happened. But, of course, we're going to talk about this show almost live. Perhaps you recall it. Maybe you don't. It's been a long time ago. You are, and I don't want to embarrass you right now, but I, you are, Bill, uh, an American icon. And you are in the realm of Amelia Earhart and Rosie the Riveter and Marilyn Monroe and Elvis and Sinatra. Yeah, I, I, Elvis, I can't Sinatra, to... Bill Nye. Yeah. No, Here's you what are. happens when you're an icon. Let me tell no, you, you when are. you're an icon. You know you are. Because well, I can't talk to anybody that has not heard of you. And well, when, you, when you know that you, everybody knows who you are, you're an icon. I'm sorry. It's embarrassing. Well, but if you're an icon and you go to Starbucks and get uh, a latte, you might get a macchiato, you know, where they add a little on top of the foam. Yeah. It's $4.50. But if but you're you not an icon, 
It's four fifty. But but you never have to pay for your coffee, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that, that you go in the wrong <laughs> coffee shops then. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Uh, and I drank so much coffee because I lived in Seattle. You just get yeah. caught up you, in it. You have to, yeah. Let's let's start for you. Uh, first of all, tell me where you grew up, where you were born, where you grew up, where you went to grade school, high school. I know you went to Cornell University, but let's back up even farther from that. Where was where were the beginnings for Bill Nye? Well, I. I grew up in the city of Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States. Located between Virginia and Maryland on the north bank of the Potomac River, the city is home to all three branches of the federal government, as well as the White House, the Supreme Court, and the Capitol Building. In the city limits, there's a few of us. You dirty you know? bastard. So you're one yeah. of those D.C. people. Yeah, that's right. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the um, ruling class. Or something. Both my parents... Uh, were uh, World War II veterans. I'm very, uh, I, always, I think about the sacrifices really? they made. And I just, yeah, my dad was, uh, he was, um, got a construction job on Wake Island, which is yeah. west, west, Pacific west of Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. Middle of nowhere. And so this is before the U.S. Navy had what are called the construction battalions. In construction battalion, has become the word CB. Wake Island, the Alamo of World War II. They didn't have enough weapons. They didn't have enough men. All they had were guts and each other. And before they that organ or that part of the Navy existed, they hired civilians, civilian contractors. So my dad got, I guess, through a family connection, got a job uh, working with this construction company at the beginning of World War II. Well, before World War II. Oh, so in the okay. spring of 1941, summer of 1941. And uh, it was so sounds like a pretty good job. They were in the tropics. They had uh, movies quite often. And it he'd said uh, it would rain and they wouldn't uh, move my microphone. They said it would rain and they wouldn't uh, put on raincoats or anything. They sat there, tropical rain, warm, beautiful. Hmm. And they um, would collect rainwater and, and so on. But... Uh, then, well, you know, I, I collect rainwater myself just by standing uh, outside. Oh, raindrops, so many raindrops, it feels like raindrops falling from my eye. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very Pacific Northwestern approach. So why were they collecting rainwater? Because uh, it's distilled. You can drink it. Oh, I see. I see. It's like a desert. There. I thought it was uh, like this... a science thing, but he's no, no. If it was, okay. that that was left out. Okay. But they um, <clears throat> they uh, built this airstrip for so that planes could land with landing gear. Before that, the planes would be uh, like pontoons, flying boats, flying yeah. boats, the yeah, Boeing yeah. Clipper. Right. And so, if you were a business guy, business person doing business in Asia, you'd go from San Francisco to Pearl Harbor to Wake Island and refuel and then you'd go on farther uh to to the west to to uh asia how long did anyway, your dad do that was he there th through the whole war oh so then <laughs> everything was cool till december 8th which was the same as december 7th at pearl harbor because it's across the international dateline yeah exactly. we interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin the japanese have attacked pearl harbor hawaii by air president roosevelt has just announced and so he was he fought back for two weeks he was a civilian but the, and there were marines there but everybody apparently when 
stuff starts happening, everybody pitches in. And uh, they were captured on Christmas Eve, 1941. My dad spent almost four years as a prisoner of war in at first in China. And wow. then as the Japanese influence shrank, then on the South Island of Japan. How did and I, I make a joke about that, you? Wow. You know, it's, and this joke is really funny. I'll cue you. But if you get a chance to be a prisoner of war, I say, don't do it. You know, it sounds like an adventure and stuff. It sounds like it really was hard, but he lived through it. And then meanwhile, my mother was graduated from Goucher College. So Goucher. In Baltimore, the city of Baltimore. The home of Edgar Allan Poe. Once upon a midnight dreary. If you were a guy like my uh, mother's younger brother or the guy that my young my mother's sister married, you went to Johns Hopkins University. My yeah. dad went I've to Johns Hopkins. I've heard of that Hopkins. one, yeah. Yeah, anyway, and that's where they went. But if you were a woman, you went to Goucher College, which is a liberal arts school in the city of Baltimore. Now, I've heard of Gaucho College. I believe that's in South America. In the countryside of Argentina, cowboy life has scarcely changed over the past three centuries. The Gaucho is a hero here. Yes, and and it was frequented. Uh, it was supported by a huge grant from... From the Marx Brothers. Is, but that did, aside, Groucher, yeah. Did, does Goucher College still exist? Oh yeah. So they um, had the misfortune of having me be the commencement speaker last year, but they oh. got through it. Thank you all so much. Thank you so much for including me today, ladies and gentlemen, distinguished faculty, distinguished speakers. For your entire life, I imagine you've heard people say you are the future, and there's a reason for that. Trust me, you are. The future. Now, right now, in the spring of 2019, your future looks both exciting, full of astonishing promise, and trust me, it also looks terrifying. But anyway, so the U.S. Navy and, and the Army were looking for people to work on code breaking uh, ciphers. Mm -hmm. So all the men were gone. The men were off doing fighting the war or involved in other wartime activities. So they realized they could recruit women for this to do this. So my mom, uh, she like uh, reported that she was good at crossword puzzles. They took tests where you had to do word grouping and mm -hmm. stuff like this. So yeah. my mom was one of the code girls, as they're called. I did know that what we were doing was important. But you didn't ask. You knew you do. You were supposed to do your work, and that was it. And that's what everybody did. It was a a wonderful time of of uh, unity. So for four years she was in the navy. Yeah, and just last year, uh, I didn't see you there, but they had an event at the Library of Congress honoring the Code Girls. I am not allowed to go back to the Library of Congress because of my overdue books. <laughs> I miss you, man. Anyway, anyway, uh, uh, I met a gal who was about my age, and she said, my mother was with your mother in Hawaii. I said, my mom wasn't in Hawaii. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, so if you ask my mother my whole life, what did you do during the war, Jackie, which is how those people of that age uh, socialized at a cocktail party, whatever. Right. That was the it's first thing you common said. Common point of reference. Yeah. yeah. What did you do on almost line? Yeah. Uh, so would you, and so my mom said, I can't talk about it. And then she would laugh. Ha ha. Can't talk about it. So she was in Washington for a while. She was in somewhere in Maryland, I think, you know, right outside of Washington. 
And then they made it some trip to Boston. And at the end of the war, apparently, after VE Day, after the European uh, Treaty was signed. Throughout the world, throngs of people hailed the end of the war in Europe. It is five years and more since Hitler marched into Poland. Years full of suffering and death and sacrifice. Now the war against Germany is won. Uh, several of these gals then shipped off to Hawaii for a few months to work on <clears throat> what they called the JN. JN-25 was the big one, Japanese Naval Code. Hmm. And uh, I will say objectively, my mother was very good at puzzles. She was very good at, at uh, crossword puzzles and limericks. and, and um, She was a wordsmith. Yeah, and riddles and stuff like that. And she yeah. was good at math. So the, I thought I was going to say, she can't just be good at word games. She has to be good at math, too. Uh, well, anyway, so I had nothing to do with it. They, they, my, but both of my parents, are their ashes are interred at Arlington National Cemetery. You know? Oh, my gosh. Well, so you just... Well, but here's the thing. When I listen to the kids, the kids today, and I look around at the the strife the country's going through right now, I just think, as screwed up as things were, everybody was in that together. Yeah. Everybody was working to fight World War II. We like I mean, to say that now, too. Hey, we're all in this together. Except maybe now we're getting tired of it, so let's go out and not be in it so much together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, Let's breathe on each other. Yeah. Yeah. I know. No, uh, but, uh, you know, you guys, the pandemic is the real thing. And I've said, you know, as I've said, Pat, I'm not changing the subject, but go your ahead. enemy as an animal is not lions and tigers and bears. They are, of course, troublesome under the wrong circumstances. But yeah. if your real them. enemy is germs and parasites, the most dangerous animal for a human is a mosquito. Mosquitoes spread multiple diseases killing three quarters of a million people each year. So that this pandemic is here is awful, but it's also something that a lot of people saw coming. So ugh. I have read about that. And I think you even talked about that a lot in your past, that this, this is a, a major threat that is coming in this world, but nobody wants to hear about that. We'd rather hear uh, what the Kardashians are up to. So, well, but you can't have, it's not one or the other. You just want everybody to be scientifically literate. You just yeah. want everybody to realize it's a real thing. You breathe on each other. A lot of people are going to get sick, very sick, and some people are going to get so sick it kills them, and you just don't want that. This is Bill Nye Today. We're going to talk about how you got to Bill Nye Today from Bill Nye back be before you were Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, and so I, I guess we got – I guess I didn't get to – uh, where you went to school in Washington, D.C. So everybody's talking about there's all the strife and tear gas and pepper bullets in Lafayette Park. Yeah, I went to Lafayette Elementary School. And oh. when you are a Washingtonian from uh, the city of Washington, D.C. Uh, Which would probably be a state, right? Right. Very difficult to make it a state because conservatives realize it would give uh, a uh, few hundred thousand people uh, a, a vote and uh, maybe a senator yeah. and they would all be almost certainly be progressive or liberal voters. Almost certainly. Yeah. Uh, My so, parents, so you know, were both veterans of World War II, but they were both pretty, pretty solid progressive. Somewhere mm -hmm. in, in the middle of all of those great stories, I for maybe you said it and I missed it. How did your parents meet? Oh, so it, if you went to Hopkins and Goucher, you met at a college mixer. Or oh, two, okay. Or two. okay. And my mother always said my dad was the best dancer. 
that uh, that appealed to her. And that you've inherited because you're a great dancer. I like it. But so where did you go to high school? I mean, you went to grade school in Lafayette. Is that right? Lafayette? So it's you know, this Lafayette is a big figure uh, in the Washington D.C. area. It means a lot of things named after him. The Marquis de Lafayette was America's most prominent, helpful, and famous foreign participant in the revolution. His contributions to the Americans' revolutionary cause are so numerous that dozens of places around the country are named after him. But including my elementary school, then I went to Alice Steele Junior High. And then uh, a guy, this was in the early days of busing. And right now it it is so relevant and it has affected me. I look back so, it affected me profoundly. But a guy got shot uh, not in my middle school, but in the next one over. And when I, um, what year uh, would that have been? 1972, mm-hmm. I think. No, no, be, no, no. I misspoke. 19, uh, seven, one, 1970, probably 1970. Okay. I got shot. <clears throat> and, um, my dad was a native Washingtonian, very loyal to Washington. He was, Concerned, but not too concerned. My mother just wigged out. And so they had me apply to a very well-known private school in the Washington, D.C. area, Sidwell Friends. Oh, yeah. I think, so I spent, uh, didn't, didn't uh, uh, the Clinton's daughter go there? I yeah, think. yeah, and yeah. the Obama. This is an elite school that has been teaching president's kids since Teddy Roosevelt. Both in my public school and in the private school, a lot of your friends were the sons and daughters of congressmen and senators. It's mm-hmm. very common. Uh-huh. And every four years, they'd all leave because somebody didn't get reelected. But uh, anyway, then at Sidwell, it was quite an education. I mean, it shows you what you can do as in education if you have resources. If uh, people don't come to school exhausted from being on buses for an hour and a half, people don't come to school angry. Just the um, the deep racism is is. Um, set aside because of the economic success of everybody. Everybody comes from a good enough background. And so um, it changed my life. You know, I just had amazing teachers, especially amazing physics teacher who uh, really encouraged me to apply to Cornell university. And I, I, you guys, I had no, I did not believe I would get into Cornell university. That seemed incredible to me. Huge Ivy league college. Were were you, uh, a good student from the start or did I was okay. You know, I was yeah. okay. I was good at math and science cause I loved it. It was okay. Uh, in English, you know, I love words. I'm crazy for words. I'm always, right. we have a whole expression, nibonics about my way of <laughs> speaking. What's an uh, ibonic, what's a nibonic example? Well, what you might call a pen or pencil. And I would, if you're at the grocery store with a checklist, it's a cross off a fire. Uh, I think I'm going to uh, start adopting some of those knives. Cross off a fire is a popular noun. Like it. And uh, so at Cornell, that you got in is pretty impressive. That much proves that you was were a good. clerical error, I think, but uh, it, not it, likely. But, so no, so, I did okay. Yeah. So, and you got a degree in mechanical engineering, I believe. Uh, yes, right? I like bicycles. I like bicycles and airplanes, and that's what me- mechanical engineering is all about. And then. Pat, I got the dream job. So I was in the spring of 1977. I um, had a professor who really liked me, and I was doing well in something called control systems, which is a, bran- a, a branch within the branch of mechanical engineering, thermostats, autopilots, 
cruise control. And then uh, I had this extraordinary course in astronomy from Carl Sagan, this very well-known astronomer. I hey, took kids, a freshman. Kids, kids, do you, you need to find out who Carl Sagan is if you youngsters don't know. Well, this everybody knows. Yeah, everybody knows Cosmos, hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. The cosmic calendar begins on January 1st with the birth of our universe. It contains everything that's happened since then up to now, which on this calendar is midnight, December 31st. On this scale, every month represents about a billion years. Well, that's based on the original show released in 1980. It was hosted by Carl Sagan. I, and a but, huge show that I watched religiously. And, you know, his his thing about billions and billions came into the lexicon of America. Billions, billions, trillions, trillion, million, 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 billion, four hundred billion suns. Well, so according to him and his wife, who's an acquaintance of mine, Andrean, he never said billions and billions. Oh, he but did? Johnny Carson did. The universe is made up of and billions of galaxies. Which our galaxy, the local galaxy, the Milky Way, contains our solar system, the minor planet Earth, our moons and companions, which move immutably through this interstellar stuff in this vacuum of nothingness. We as mortal human beings are simply minute specks who eat way too much sugar. Johnny Carson doing an impression of Sagan <laughs> I said billions and good. billions. Well, that's the story. That but I'll, but yeah. I'll tell you, as a member of his class, or rather a student in his class, I'm trying to say, he's, there were a lot of billions. I mean, I don't know if there were billions and billions, but there were a lot of billions. Did he Was he a guy, Bill, that you got close to then or was he distant i mean you were admiring well, him was, obviously but did he you... was approachable i mean he was a professor he had office hours you know you could uh -huh. go yeah uh but here's the big thing that happened with him was 10 years later at my 10-year reunion thanks to our uh beloved um uh, benefactor dorothy bullet yes at king tv who was the uh, owner of king television yeah the owner yeah, and by all accounts was wealthier than bill gates for a while right? she hated by the way i've always heard this. she hated being put on the forbes what is it 400 list or whatever that is 500 it, I think. it embarrassed yeah. her so much she didn't want to be seen as a wealthy person she thought that made her sound elitist and separate from other people and she uh, she was just a down-to-earth, wonderful human being. and She and, was cool. And took a risk in getting into TV in those days. It was very chancy, and I was uh, I was very much afraid of it, but I thought we could maybe swing it. Yeah, she was cool. But she let me do a show on Sunday mornings called Bill's Basement. And what? I had this vision. Yeah, I had this vision Wait of a minute. getting Where, kids when excited. Was, when was this? King TV. You'd have to get up at the what? cracky crack crack of dawn. Yeah. God, I'm stupid. I didn't know about this. When yeah, so it was, who guess who directed it? Take a shot. Steve Wilson. Yeah. Now, wait, so, a, minute. wait a minute. Back up here now. I thought you first came to King on Almost Live, and you're telling me you did something before. Oh, that. no, I came at Almost Live. I came on Almost oh, Live, okay. for sure. And for then sure's. that came for after. 
or during? Yeah, well, as part of during, oh, yeah. God. So dude. I would. Where was I? I? Would, I must have been really. You deep. were making a living running the marketing department, being hilarious. I, so, I think I was pretty deeply into blow at that time too, and I just. Oh, I think cannot, you're kidding. Yeah. I can't remember that. Uh, was so it, anyway, how, I how, said to Carl at my tenth reunion, yes. I made, I arranged through exchange of paper letters. You may remember this technology. <laughs> store in for it's it's plant based information storage. And I arranged to have a meeting with him for about five minutes. And he said, what you're doing sounds good, but don't, don't focus on technologies, focus on pure science. Kids resonate to pure science. Mm. That's, that's how he expressed it. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And that led to a focus to a, a guiding principle of the Science Guy show. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet eating her curds and whey. Curds and whey, but on a tuffet? I mean, what's up with that? Anyway, then came a spider and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. That's weird. What's so scary about a spider? Oh, uh, Bill, above you. But when you came west, when you came, you were recruited, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were recruited by Boeing to come to work for them because among your other science interests was flight. You loved yeah. the idea uh, airplanes, of yeah. airplanes. Yeah. And I wanted, at that time, I had it in my head, I wanted to work on commercial planes. I didn't want to get involved in military, uh, uh, in weapons, just mm -hmm. a, a kind of a pacifist hippie point of view. Yeah. And the other thing about <clears throat> when you work in defense, contracts just come and go. It's it's not it's not a stable business. And you remember the last person to leave Seattle, please turn out the lights. Yeah. When the supersonic transport was canceled. Will the last one to leave Seattle, please turn. All this aside, it was my dream job because I had, it was a commercial airplane. It was uh, this beautiful 747. And I had this thing since I was, I guess, in elementary school. I had this thing where I wanted to learn to mountain climb, to be in the hills, to run around in the snow. Mm-hmm. And uh, to Seattle was just, that's it. I mean, it was just fantastic. And I did some modest amount of mountain climbing with some people I trusted, guys I trusted very much. And uh, it was just fantastic. The, you know, the thing was that I didn't realize is it rains all the time. But I, I got used to that. I lived there, you know, 26 years. Uh, but what happened was uh, Warner Brothers Records. So I'm at Boeing. Yeah, being productive. Warner Brothers. Are you are you being well paid too? Well, by my standards. So the letter that I got to recruit me, uh, the letter of uh, "Hey, come work for us," is uh, is now in the Smithsonian, the original. I think your science guy smock is in the Smithsonian. Uh, yes, too. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lab coat, we call it. Incredible. Well, anyway. Uh, I got $15,000 a year 
And that in 1977 yeah, was, that was good bread. Oh man, you could live, I could get a car or I could have a, an apartment. I mean, I could be like a guy. It was cool. So was this a desk job? Did you, were you just at a desk all day or what did you do? Yeah, most of the day. But the big thing that I enjoyed, frankly, was going to the factory, which I did, you know, often enough. And they gave me a responsibility to Where was do, that? run was this little test in, in Everett. In, in Everett. Oh, in Everett. Okay. Yeah. And it was, I go to Renton once in a while. I took a couple of uh, Boeing classes in Everett about uh, materials and um, some autopilot control system, these things that com the company standards. But my boss, Jeff Summit, was really cool. And then the guy who hired me, Dave Lisey, was really nice to me. It was very good. And so, um, uh, so, so I was living my know, life. For all we know, you could today be the president of Boeing Airlines, CEO, but but you got some other interests along the way. Well, and also and that's the part I don't get because well, you're, so, you're a, a Cornell guy. You're smart as a whip and you, you're a scientist or you're science oriented. I guess I would say at that point, uh, where did it go so terribly wrong for you? Yeah, so Warner Brothers Records sponsored a Steve Martin lookalike contest. <laughs> well, excuse I now, remember. because the guy who had been my freshman roommate, we went our separate ways in a sense. I went in mechanical engineering. He went into what we call material science, METSI, which is closely related, but not exactly the same. It's in a different building at, on campus. But we remained friends. And so and when we were seniors, he had this extraordinary, his house had this extraordinary new technology. He had cable television. Oh, my. And he came hurrying to my house to my, uh, where I, we lived, uh, a couple other people, we lived on the first floor of a house. He came hurrying over and said, hey, man, you got to come see this guy. He's just like you. Look at this. So it was Steve Martin at the boarding house, which is, which is a nightclub still in, the San Francisco, in San Francisco. And so look at this. He's just like you. His sense of humor is just like you. And I went, okay. And now it's time for. Sure. So uh, a year later, a year and a half later, Warner Brothers sponsored this contest at Montana's. Do you remember Montana's? Yeah. Yeah. Down by the airport, down by SeaTac, and it burned down. It's, it wasn't exactly my fault. Yeah, and I'm so sorry. I, I burned it down, but I just never liked it? that place. Well, I guess not if you did. No, I guess not. Anyway, with respect to everybody else who showed up and did a fine job, with respect, looking at it in in the in terms of a Venn diagram, you know what I mean? Yeah, but With what the circles? But why it was were Bill you... Nye not Bill Nye at that contest? <laughs> <laughs> That's my opinion. Okay, sorry. But I mean, it's like uh, I I know it's it seems to me like it's like an astrophysicist deciding in my part time life I'm going to also be a cowboy and I'm going to wrestle cows to the ground. Being a stand up comic and then at night and then what you did during the day seems utterly incongruous how did how did your mind uh, operate on those two different levels well i don't know man i uh you know once you get laughs on stage yeah that's, it's really gets to you it's yeah it does. Uh, the yeah. modern term is addicting it's you want to keep doing it and so uh i did you know all these hilarious engineering jokes wow they were funny and uh, but I, 
by that I mean they sucked, but I met Ross you, Schaefer. But you and, were in a town where Boeing was big, so they the, those jokes. Oh, it was okay. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. And the other, <clears throat> uh, my roommate. I don't know if you know this, everybody, but to get your motorcycle license in Washington State, you have to go take a motorcycle test on Friday mornings. That's the only time they administer the test, and they don't ask you how you got there on your motorcycle. You just <laughs> show up without a license. But my roommate got just hammered. He was just drunk out of his mind before he went to take his motorcycle test. And he explained to me, you know, both this way, Bill, the test is more realistic. And then when the cop picks you up, it'll look, he'll look more like the picture. And so those are, there's an, that's a joke, Pat. And decide if it was funny. So oh, I, I like it. I like it. Well, I, I told it many times. I was distracted the same while you were saying that joke because I, I want to get from Steve. Well, Martin I'll tell you. Look alike so, contest to, to how you got. Well, I started doing stand up comedy and yeah. you go to open mic nights at Swanee's Comedy Under, Underground. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I met Ross Schaefer and John Keister. So at the end of the first season of Almost Live, they they made it. Uh, they had it so that it would be John's episode. John Keister was going to get a chance to do a whole episode on, uh, featuring him instead of Ross Schaefer. Hmm. So John approached me about performing, acting in his in his bit, his sketch, his uh, half hour long sketch. I said, okay. So I played a crazy guy wearing a pyramid straw hat. I remember that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it went okay. What about the number six? It's the product of two and three. They're prime numbers. Come on, man! <laughs> and, just, and then he couldn't remember his co his code to uh, get his cash at the cash machine. This is in the early days before facial recognition and your phone yeah, that right. could make breakfast and stuff. So uh, after that, I wanted to participate in Almost Live, and I tried submitting jokes, and those guys were very nice to me. So I would leave my engineering job at that point. I'd left Boeing. So you quit the 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 real job. And I have well, not quite here. yet. Oh, okay. At uh, that point, I was working at Sunstrand Data Control, which is now Honeywell in, oh. in Redmond, on 148. There, right across the highway from the gigantic Microsoft campus. Uh, but those days, it was literal. I'm not kidding. Everybody. Were they going to pay you more than fifteen thousand a year at Sunstrand? Yeah. Yeah, it was. A, I got you know. I had been working for a few years. I 16, got raises. Five, maybe mistakes. Yeah, something like that. Something mistakes like that. were made. Yeah. But. Um, I would leave my engineering job, go to the writers' meetings, and come back to my engineering job, back across the Evergreen Point floating bridge when there was a toll yeah. that you had to stop and pay. You had to stop your vehicle and pay cash money. 25 cents, 35 cents, something like that? 35 cents for yeah, a while. 35 yeah, 35 cents, yeah. Anyway, and you had to have a, you'd go to the bank and get a roll of quarters. That was a thing to do to have in the car. But uh, so so silly now. Well, it was I mean, it was the no, state of the art. I know. And it yeah. paid for the bridge. Doggone yeah, it. Yeah. It paid for the bridge. It did. The longest floating bridge in the world. This 7,708 foot long bridge floating atop pontoons crosses Lake Washington and connects Seattle and Bellevue. So uh, eventually I quit my day job. October 3rd, 1986, approximately. Yep, that's a, that's the date I have in front of me here. And so now you're working. <laughs> Full time at almost live, and I'm telling you, man, you're not getting sixteen five or even fifteen. It was that was the hardest thing. You're Pat. getting nothing. You're getting yeah, no money. Two hundred and 
85 a week. How did you justify that? And how did you think that was going to lead to anything? Well, I just said, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And the other thing in the back of my mind was I can go six months. Yeah. If you go in that time, everybody, and I'm not joking you, you talk about the internet now, but computer technology was coming on so fast. And now uh, whenever you buy anything, there's an electronic image of it and you can rotate the image and look inside it and open the doors of the apartment you're the house you're looking to buy and so on but this business of computer-aided design as it was called cad and computer-aided manufacturer cam cad cam this was coming on like crazy and i thought if i get out of this business for six months i will not be able to work successfully as an engineer. It was changing that fast Mm -hmm. in those days. So I thought I'll go six months. And uh, my entertainment was I bought a 10 10 session pass to Highland Ice Arena because I could go ice skating once or twice a week and afford it. That was my idea. I had paid for my Volkswagen bug. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just give it a shot. I'm going to go six months. So I I just still can't believe that you made that now the reason you decided to do that did you in any way have an idea that i'm going to do this because this is going to lead to me doing a science program and be i'm going to be a i'm going to do shows about science for kids or adults or whatever you couldn't have been thinking about that no no i wasn't uh but i wanted to try being funny as well as what pat funny looking so i are you I kidding? Do you have the most handsome, well-chiseled features of any man I've ever seen, other than <laughs> other than Steve Martin, of course. Yeah, all right. Anyway, Steve Martin did get to meet me at one point. Oh, good. Did you tell uh, him why? Why he? Oh was, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a poor guy. He yeah. So he gets thing. credit for your career in a way. Oh, absolutely, he yeah. does. But he has uh, done his best, of course, to distance himself. Well, sure, understandably. But. Uh, I kid because I love. So anyway, there's an old saying, in general, writ large, people don't regret what they do, they regret what they don't do. And so, uh, you know, there's, of course, a few things that, you know, I'm sorry, the gun went off. It's like, that's one. But I just figured if I didn't do it, then I'd never do it. So but the it that you're doing is what it fascinates me. Because so what did you think the it would be? I don't know, you know, successful become. career in comedy. Oh, okay. So you comedic want comedic performer, acting. So you saw yourself maybe being in in uh, stand up in sitcoms, maybe. You know, someday. working my way to Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and, okay, uh, that's reasonable. I get that. A couple of movie deals. No, so uh, Ross had a thing every day. He would take listener questions because he was also the DJ on KJR. Your own, your your very own KJR. Yeah. A station so old, how old is it? Only has three call letters. That's how long it's been. That was a huge station at the time, Pat O'Day. Uh, They were getting, uh, well, back in Pat O'Day's day, they were getting 42% shares. I mean, almost half the people listening to any radio station were listening to that one. That's how big it was in Seattle back in the day. This is KJR, serving the Pacific Northwest from Seattle. And Ross was part of it. He was a popular... DJ on the evening drive and simultaneously so, doing almost live. Yeah. 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 So he, he had somebody called in and the, it was about the, the back to the future movies. The guy said, since so many uh, gigawatts 
And I just, for some reason, got it in my head. I called him. I go, Ross, it's Bill Nye. You know, you can say gigawatts, but we kind of prefer to say gigawatts, gigawatts. And it was like, you're oh, so okay, fine. You're going to give this sort of advice. Yeah, I'll give you this advice every day. And so then it became a thing every yeah. day at 435, I would call and do my best in hilarious comedic fashion to answer listener questions. A lot of asparagus questions, a lot of why does my, why do I shiver and all these sort of things. But yeah. And, uh, and did you, always, then, did you always know the answers or did you, well, you'd have to make your way you through do it, what so. you can. Well, but I did read science news. I recommend science news to everyone, a cute, happy little magazine every week. I recommend it uh, wholeheartedly, but then, uh, in January of 1987, somebody didn't show up for Almost Live, and the story is lost in antiquity. Well, my, was, no, my notes show that it was Geraldo Rivera. Let's say it was Geraldo Rivera. I, we don't know. Let's go with that. I'm Geraldo Rivera, and you're about to witness a live television event. A massive concrete vault has been discovered. Some think it belonged to none other than the notorious Al Capone. Somebody didn't show up, and you got a, a show to do. And even though it's called Almost Live, it's essentially a live show. And if somebody doesn't show up, what are we going to do? We got to fill. You got six minutes. Yeah. 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 So Ross is is at the end of the table. He's got to go to do his radio show. Well, Bill, you know, why don't you do that stuff you're always talking about? You could be, you could be Bill Nye, the Science Guy, or something. Well, anyway, I got to go. So he and came I up remember, with that name. Yeah, Ross Schaefer. Did and I remember Ross him credit for that closing the briefcase i just remember the clicking of the latches <laughs> i remember that very well like, like i gotta go okay oh, clicking of the latches man what a good name for a movie clicking of the latches starting friday in select theaters uh well it's also yeah, as the latches click yes yeah, as a soap opera yeah yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> Uh, we came up. I was a young guy, Pat. I was new in town. I was uh, a United Way big brother. And through that, I got connected to the Science Center. And I was a science explainer on weekends. I'd wear uh, a blue vest oh, yeah. and pour liquid nitrogen around for young people, kids. And, you know, we talk about the science of cold and molecules. And uh, isn't this fun? And so. I did on the first show. I did the first show as the science guy appearance as science guy because you were did filling the in for the, you were filling in for the guests that didn't show up. It was yeah. a spontaneous decision. We got to do something. Let's let Bill come on as this science yeah. performer. And uh, liquid nitrogen is not something I could go down to Rite Aid and buy, right? No, but if but it's cheaper than gasoline. If you know somebody. You can get liquid nitrogen. Your dentist has liquid nitrogen. Your physician, any dermatologist has liquid nitrogen. It's used in all sorts of industrial processes. Uh -huh. If you buy a sandwich at Starbucks, it was frozen with liquid nitrogen because it's absolutely, completely, totally non-toxic. I mean, we breathe nitrogen all day. Is it the same thing as dry ice? No, that's carbon dioxide. Oh, carbon dioxide. Okay. That's why I'm not the science guy. You are. It's one of the reasons. So know. how did you, so, so they put you on the spot. You got to, we want you to do a demonstration of some kind. Did yeah. it immediately say, I know I'm going to do this liquid nitrogen thing. Well, I talked it over. If you know, Jim Sharp, I talked it over yeah. with Jim Sharp and the uh, producer of the show at the time uh, from Port Orchard, Washington. 
And we agreed on this and we decided to do the household uses of liquid nitrogen because we've all got liquid nitrogen around, of course. That's the premise. And uh, the celery that was limp gets, um, gets crisp. The onion, you hit it with the knife and it sounds like breaking glass. Very satisfying, the layers of onion. And then the uh, the payoff, the thing that I did every weekend at the yes. Science Center was you chew the marshmallows. You that, had get, been, that had been dipped in liquid nitrogen. Or froze, yeah. You let them sit there about 10, 15 seconds, yeah. And then you, uh, you chew them and steam comes out of your nose. You can't yeah. beat it. Oh, my God. It, it. It, it was, but nobody... I mean, most viewers never saw anything like that, and they it blew, it blew their mind. <laughs> well, the other thing was, the you know, my attitude was like, this is how we roll. We science people just chew marshmallows and liquid nitrogen. This is how this is how we uh, sustain ourselves. Well, it's just what do you do with marshmallows? That's weird. Roast them? Wow. We don't eat regular meals. We always do this and so on. So it was funny, and then Ross wanted me to be on about every three weeks doing something or other. There's a guy on our own staff has a degree from an Ivy League college, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Carl Sagan was Carl your... Sagan and I were like this. Hey, Carl. Hey, Bill. Hey. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> so that's why we present Bill Nye, the science guy. Thank you. And then, you know, Scott Schaefer. Yeah, Scott Schaefer was a writer on the show. Yeah, and he lives in uh, Three Tree Point, I guess, South yep. uh, Burien kind of area. Yeah, it's down to two anyway, trees now, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I remember him saying to me, this could be a recurring character, Bill, as I came off the stage. I came off that set there. And, you know, he was right. It was it was Very cool. Prescient and so, of him, yeah. But then, because, then, oh, yeah, when you work on a comedy show, you want a recurring character. Yeah. That, that's what you want. You watch Saturday Night Live. What you want is the girl you sorry you you you're sorry you started talking to at the party. You want um, Poppy. You want uh, well. You want to be on Weekend Update is what you want. So, right. so you figured that might work. Uh, but before we get on to how you became the uh, the iconic character, you did you you that wasn't your only thing. You did some a lot of other bits on the show as people were required to do. And one of my all-time favorites of yours, well, there's two, uh, at least two. Uh, it was a silly bit, and you did it as like uh, like it was a one-man show. And I remember what got me thinking that I should do something uh, performing in front of people is I went to a performance of Mark Twain Tonight. Do you, do you remember that? The guy, the guy, the actor who was so uh, compelling. It was Hal Holbrook. Man is a reasoning animal. <laughs> Such is the claim. Uh, though I do think that's open to dispute. I, well, I've been studying this reasoning animal for years now, and I find the results humiliating. <laughs> well, for example, I experimented with a cat and a dog, taught them to be friends, then I put them in a cage. I introduced a rabbit. In an hour, they were friends. Then I added a fox, a goose, a squirrel, some doves, <laughs> a kangaroo, and finally a monkey. 
They live together in peace. Well, next I caught an Irish Catholic and put him in a cage. <laughs> and as soon as he seemed tame, I added a Presbyterian. <laughs> And then a Turk from Constantinople, a Methodist from the wilds of Arkansas, a Buddhist from China, and finally a Salvation Army colonel. <laughs> Why, when I come back, there wasn't a specimen left alive. Yeah, and I thought, gosh, I want to do that. Well, you did this one-man bit uh, on Almost Life called Bill Nye is William Shatner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just kills it. It still kills me to watch Oh, it. come on, man. It was mediocre, but It was thank funny. You. It was so funny. The theater event of the decade is coming to Tokwila in a moving one-man show. Discover for yourself what theater goers everywhere are shouting. Bill Nye is William Shatner. Mr. Scott, I need more power. It is a material and a device called Quartermark, which... Thrill again to Captain Kirk convincing a renegade computer to give itself up. M5, scan the Excalibur. Is there any life aboard that ship? No life. You have killed you have murdered thing is at that time one of the mysteries everybody for you television executives is why did anybody cancel star trek star trek was this fantastically popular series sure optimistic view of the future through science michelle nichols a woman who played yohora gets calls from martin luther king saying you can't quit your job you're influencing a whole generation george takei played the helmsman Sulu. You're influencing whole generation, empowering Asian Americans. You can't quit this job. This is so, so why did they cancel the show? Anyway, it was so popular that I had a whole bit as William Shatner. It was a popular enough thing to do. Well, you uh, proved to be correct time. because they had hugely successful movies after that. Well, now, well, God, it's on the series. After oh, that. it still yeah. is. And yeah, yeah. there's still Star Trek conventions. And my dear yeah. friend, Robert Picardo, goes to conventions and signs pictures all day because people are crazy for it. So anyway, here's the, Bill here's, Nye here's is the, William Shatner. Here's the line I remember. You have destroyed. The destroyed. Planet. You have murdered. You have killed. Yeah, but I mean, imitating Why William is Shatner so is not, it's, well, it's over the top. That's his whole thing, but. Khan. Fans of the, the Almost Live would remember you also as one of the high five and white guys, which. No, I'm proud of that one. Yeah, yeah. That's, I wrote that with Ed Wyatt one morning. We both found parking places in front of King TV. Oh, you wrote that with Ed? Well, I mean, and so we gave each other a high five. Oh, God. That's, we that... found parking places right on, man. You know, being silly. If 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 I hear from people about Almost Live, that is at least one of the top three bits everybody mentioned. Can I be a high five and white guy too? 
Well, and it's it speaks to the Northwest and now all this awareness of redlining. And so I just want everybody to know I was very aware of racial stereotypes at the time. And that's part of why it's brilliant. But it's also inherently funny. I mean, it's it's, it's one silly. It's a one joke bit, but it just endured. (laughs) And it, it, you know, we did. You must have done six, seven, eight of those. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then every, the, the goofiest every, it's bit just you easy did. to produce, but they were and people, you know, in the Seattle area who are aware of it. Yeah, I'll I'll wait twenty minutes while you guys set up this camera shop in front of this Orange Julius or whatever the heck it was. I was just yeah, reading so. a, a thing in the New York Times. They are redoing the old Warner Brothers Bugs Bunny, uh, Merry Melodies, Looney Tunes type ca- cartoons, but they're they're reinventing them. They're doing them again. Whenever I think about that, I think of your bit fight flying low, which was really oh, God. kind of a cartoon. It always ended the same way. It's like a road, <laughs> Roadrunner cartoon where the coyote always runs off the cliff. Pat, now look, you were involved in that. You were very gracious to me, and I still appreciate it. And I've told the story how much I appreciate it. As a kid growing up, I came to realize that the guy who plays the character, Rock Hudson, for example, uh, um, Jack Lord plays oh, McGarrett. The heroic guy, yeah. Yeah, the heroic guy, the actor has to have a heroic name. You know, Rock Hudson's real name, I don't know what it is, but it's... Rock Dupree. It's probably not Hudson. Yeah, it's probably not Rock. So there's a in Flying Low, it's Rick Jameson as Captain Flanker. Flying Low, a couple of guys who like to take chances and see the world up close. Flying Low, starring Jason Riker as Jeff Dawson and Rick Jameson as Captain Flanker. And you read it with <laughs> so your beautiful stupid. voice, your beautiful DJ voice. You read Rick Jameson as Captain Flanker. But I had studied this this uh, uh, genre enough to realize that the head guy is more important. He's got to have three syllables. He's got to have three syllables. Yeah. And you went, okay, Bill. Starring Jason Riker as Jeff Dawson and Rick Jamison as Captain Flanker. It can't be Bill Nye. Uh, he goes, you just... I mean, that's one stinking syllable. You were like, okay, Bill, Jesus, whatever. And you went right back in the audio booth there on the second floor, and you recorded Rick Jamison as Captain Flanker. <laughs> it's just funnier. Three syllables is just funnier. I'm sorry, you guys. It's not my fault. It's just how it is. But Flying Low was a guy flying a plane. Two guys. Yeah. It's very heroic. Yeah, there's two guys. And yeah, it's always like, and then they always fly too low. Jason ends. Riker as Jeff Dawson. So see, Jason Riker is a more heroic name than Jeff Dawson. So he plays down. He's obviously the super hard dude playing and a they always, guy. Yeah. They always wind up flying into a cliff yeah, or blow a up. Yeah, crash. Always. Everyone Every episode ends the same way. <laughs> and the King, tele, uh, King Television helicopter pilots were very nice about it. They would shoot stuff and give it to us, you know, shoot the intro footage coming toward a cliff, going down the river into a cloud. They would shoot it. Good to be flying again, isn't it, Jeff? Sure is, Captain. You know, that mountainside was a tough break. Huh. 
Something like that could happen to anybody trying to work his way through rugged terrain. Not today, though. Nothing but blue sky, far as the eye can see. Hey, what's that? Huh? Yeah, and they, and they weren't supposed to because there was this schism between uh, the key, yeah, yeah. very important news department and this comedy show. Well, here's what, not- what, what um, Bill Stainton realized. And maybe it's Keister. Let's go with John Keister realized that if you cast people from the news department in the show, then you'd like build these bridges. Then everybody you was your friend. Yeah. So, you know, getting cast, you know, in re- on a real show, everybody, you'd hire actors who would act. But on Almost Live, we'd just get whoever was wandering around the building right now with a with a clipboard or a sheaf of papers in his or her hand. And she would have to stand there for 10 minutes while we set up the camera. And then she would go, that's right, Steve, or something. And then they'd go back oh, to work. So, <laughs> so uh, you got you got to uh, make these guys your allies. Yeah, yeah. You were in a bit, you're in lots of bits. Uh, come, uh, some that come to immediate mind, cops in Ballard. Yeah, so uh, I used did, to know this. Lots of, we did lots of cops bit, cops in Mercer well, Island. Because cops. it's still a popular genre of television shows. Cop in Ballard. Sam Ballard's a nice, quiet town. Good place to live. I mean, sometimes people get a little too much caffeine, you know, on uh, Friday night. That's bingo night. Things get a little wild. I mean, there's nothing we can't handle. I mean, we've got a lot of experience around here, believe me. I'm hoping today is going to be, you know, pretty quiet because uh, there's a big uh, cabbage luncheon at the Swedish club. Uh, Cabbage feeding, I think it's called. That should keep a lot of people off the streets. I mean, I hope that works out for you and your crew, you know, if if it's a real quiet day. I mean... We'll, just, we'll see how it goes. Ustavon, Ustavon, they got the point 17 on market. It's all yours. Okay, hang on here. Roger, this is Ustavon. I'm on my way. Okay. <laughs> see what that's all about. You better hang on. Well, it was. Did You know, as we're taping this now, uh, they just canceled cops yeah, because yeah. cops, uh, you know... Um, I guess you'd say they've defunded the show. Well, it's, got, it's gotten out of hand. We've militarized the police. Right. Right. I think kind of by accident since 9-11, and we've got to undo that. And it's an easy thing to say for a guy of my ancestry on a podcast, but, man, we have got to undo this. We have got to get this fixed. We've got to seize this moment. Apparently, the people who produce cops realize that, too. That show's been on forever. And then you were in a wonderful bit that Bob Nelson wrote called The Street Walking Lawyers of Aurora oh, Avenue. You guys, everybody, I would come to work whatever you call it, come to the writer's table. And there's flipping Bob Nelson every week just came up with these brilliant ideas. I agree. I just suck. I suck so much. This guy, what am I even doing here? I have shown, (laughs) I have shown a hundred people, a thousand people, uh, lawyers of Aurora Avenue. The street walking lawyers of Aurora Avenue. Hi. Hi. You look like you could use a friend. What are you charging? Depends on what you need. Uncontested divorce. I can do that. For $50, I'll give you a consultation drive around the block. For $250, I'll stay up all night with you and do the paperwork. Sounds fair to me. Great. Hey, how about my friend here? Hi. Hi. Ever wonder what it would be like with two lawyers? Sure. Why not? It is. Yes, they're sleazy, and they're lawyers. And NBC's got them. The streetwalking lawyers of Aurora Avenue. And the other one, Pat Cashman, is freaking Roscoe's Rug Emporium. My God, I say to everybody, 
I will never write anything this funny. I will never perform anything this well. Just let go. Just let it go. It's whiskey under the bridge. There's nothing I can do about it. Keep going, Mr. Nye. I'm writing this down as fast as I can. I mean, Roscoe's rug emporium. I got people at the Planetary Society who will just say as shorthand, big nails. Open the door, slamming them closed. Gonna board the place up. Nailing it shut. Big nails. Nothing gets in or out. Any day now. Could be a matter of weeks, days, maybe tomorrow. But then, that's it. Roscoe's oriental rug emporium. Going out of business since 1957. <laughs> Boarding it shut. Big that's, nails. That's Lost so, or lease. Don't care. Can't find it. Don't care. God, that's so We're flattering. down the road. Could be, any, could be any day now. Maybe tomorrow. Could be next week. God, that, <laughs> How did you do that without to sort of suffocating? Oh, I, I, I watch Roscoe's Rug Emporium. And you talk about, seriously, Pat, you talk about racial sensitivity. You could have played that a different way of uh, banking on, on stereotypes in, in the 1980s. You could have, but you didn't, man. You took it a kind of cool, weird, high road, and I, I really admire you for that. Well, thank you for that. I, I don't think there's any um, other use of the word oriental that's applicable anymore, but they still call those kind of rugs oriental rugs, and, and it, it, it's so incongruous and so anachronistic. When you... Um, when you go to Beijing, they, they, the restaurant still says Peking duck. It's like this leftover uh, right. term. Yeah. Uh, I don't look at me. I didn't, it's not me. I've been there. I've seen it. I know you've been everywhere. Uh, well, no, but I've been there and that's, is what it says. So one and, more, uh, almost one more, almost live thing. And I've saved this one for last because this uh, uh, is your, signature bit from that show and it's speedwalker jeff bimmel reporter for the daily dealer today's assignment dick's drive-in restaurant home of the 100 percent beef dick's deluxe burger this burger is highly sought after among seattleites we're here to find out why and in this particular episode bill i caught something that i'd never noticed before ed wyatt proclaims something slightly tawdry And then you innocently exclaim, Oh my goodness! Now that is silly and it's funny. Yes, it's Speedwalker! The physically fit superhero who fights crime while maintaining strict adherence to the regulations of the International Race Walking Association. Heel toe, heel toe, Speedwalker! Joe Guppy wrote the idea. He came up with the idea of Speedwalker. Joe is something else, you guys. Yeah, he is. And... And what I loved about Speedwalker was uh, Joe thought how silly that Olympic event is where guys walk uh, instead of run and they have to put their heel down and then their toe. And you, if you lift it, your foot the wrong way, you've broken. Well, the you roof. have to have both feet in contact with the ground. Yes. That's a rule. Yeah. And I always thought Speedwalker was like Superman. He had this super. I mean, you power. have to have one foot in contact with the ground at all times. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> one foot in contact with the ground all the time. So it means. Why would a superhero like Speedwalker yeah. feel like I, I've got to maintain this rule <laughs> while well, I'm trying to thing. chase yeah. down bad guys? It's like Superman. He was so principled. Superman never used his x ray vision, like, you know, to look through Lois Lane's clothes. He could have, but he never did. And as speed, far as we know, as far as we know, and Speedwalker was like that. He never broke the rules of speedwalking. 
even as he was trying to get these despicable bad guys. Well, yeah. So we only really talked with three people. Uh, uh, officer. Yes. Um, citizen and punk. Yeah. He would always grab the bad guy and say, yeah, yeah, you punk. Going somewhere, punk. Greeting, citizen. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was just once you had the idea, and this is all Joe Guppy's idea, once you had the idea, there's, there's sort of, as I like to say, no goalie. I mean, it's just silly. There's a guy with a bomb and you, you <laughs> race walk after him. Well, come on. And that was contemporary with the first. And you Batman had a little, movie. you had a little cape on, but it wasn't a full on cape. It was a half. Well, we're getting half away. Cape. Yeah. You're getting away if you had a full cape. Yeah. And then uh, the car wash. And then the one that I really, they're all oh. hilariously stupid, but where the guy gets on the, the bad guy gets on the ferry boat. And Speedwalker is able to race walk all the way to Comaneros, <laughs> across to Comaneros, back up to the ferry. Oh, God. And catch the guy. I mean, it's just oh. fantastically stupid. Hold it right there, punk. You're going to jail. And we're not taking the scenic route. You know what? I could go on uh, easily for another hour. Uh, lucky you. But yeah, lucky me. But uh, you have uh, real work to do, and you have the real world to save. And I, well, you guys, just keep in mind that I, or let me just mention this, Pat. Okay. Seattle saved my life. Now, I got a job there. I didn't know anyone, and I showed up, and I just started making my way, and I met some extraordinary people, and uh, we made a show that, in many ways, that almost live stands the test of time, and. The people that I worked with to create the Science Guy show, Jim McKenna and Aaron Gottlieb, were working on Seattle Today, mm-hmm. and uh, they had a vision. They wanted to start a a uh, their own production company, and they wanted to do science videos, science educational videos. And I, uh, as a mechanical engineer, graduated late in the 1970s. I was concerned about the United States. We were officially abandoned teaching the metric system. We created the Ford Pinto and the Chevy Vega, and I was just worried about the future, and I wanted to get young people, kids, excited about science so that the United States could remain competitive te- technically uh, as manufacturing and innovation. It almost seemed like everything ended after we got a man on the moon. Okay, that's all done. See yeah, later, well, science. Yeah, people talk about that all the time, about that turning point. Yeah. And so... Uh, that was a big part of it. And those guys, Jim and Aaron, those man and woman have just, they're just so creative. And you remember, I'm sure your listeners know uh, Billy Kwan, friend to children. It's time for Mind Your Manners with Billy Kwan. Ah! Well, the guy who contributed so much to that, of course, was Daryl and John, Darryl, John Keister and Daryl Suto. Daryl Suto. But Mike Boydston, Mike Boydston, the photographer, just had a vision, man. Like, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. And he was right on. Yeah. Well, Jim and Aaron would hire Mike. And we hired you. And we hired they hired everybody who worked on Almost Live to work on the Science Guy show. Yeah, they never made me audition for that Science Guy show. I, I weird. just got to do to be the announcer on that show. And I didn't appreciate it. You're brilliant, man. So everybody, he would just show up at Bad Animals, which was is a recording audio studio, yep. recording studio, very well known in Seattle, very creative people. And um, uh, 
you would just show up and ad lib these amazingly funny things. It was and... amazing if it was funny, Bill. Now let's say we're looking at something. Maybe a kid on a stick out here. All right, the light from the kid on a stick goes through our iris, through the lens, to the back of our eye. And look, the image of the kid on the stick is upside down. Isn't that wild? The kid on the stick is upside down. We heard you, Bill. The, the whole show would be done, and then they, there would be some little gaps or pauses in between scenes, and they just want me to fill them in. So it, it'd be stuff like, uh, don't do that, Bill. Yeah. Uh, don't touch that. Uh, you know, that's all. Ready? That's Three, all potato. Was. Two, potato. One. <laughs> you understand. Great show. They did, a, they did a brilliant job, as did you. And... Um, but that, it that, all came from it all came from Seattle, from just the the community there. And I know now we have a lot of awareness of redlining and people who didn't get a fair shake. But another thing that happened with Dorothy Bullitt is we were tutors in the Eye of a Dream program, and that was another cool thing. Yeah, um, for me anyway. And I, you know, we it's just it was extraordinary, you guys and. I visit Seattle quite regularly. My physician, my family doctor is still there. I hope to go outside someday again. But, he posts uh, a lot of things about you on Facebook. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. But. Well, some of those are enhanced. Yeah. I don't okay, think yeah. the thing about halitosis is the, anything the public needs to know. But here's the thing. And and I, those I, lenses, they now have, you can replace the lens after it's been damaged. Uh, we're going nowhere. Go ahead, Pat. Sorry. Billy, I'm begging this question and you've already answered it, but do you think you would have been, this is the question I ask everybody, would you, would your career, uh, and it's been such an amazing career. Uh, you've done other shows, Eyes of Nye, your Netflix series, Bill Nye Saves the World. You're doing a podcast right now, which is immensely entertaining. I recommend it to everybody. You've written all these wonderful books, Unstoppable, Undeniable, Everything All at Once. I've read all of those books. And now you're doing kids' books, Jack and the Geniuses. Uh, there's been a documentary about you, Bill Nye, Science Guy. I could go on and on. But uh, do you think any... Do you think that would have happened if you had not been stumbled onto this little show called Almost Live? No, absolutely not. Would you have found absolutely another way to not. get there? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, so I say to uh, to college graduates, you know, I'm asked to do commencements quite regularly. I mean, well, at the commencement time of year, I say, just get started. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where you're going to go, where life's going to take you. Just get started and find your way and uh, see what happens. So I, I got started and you guys all were very nice to me for whatever reason, Ross thought I was funny <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> he, he let me show up and, you know, after a while you figure it out. And then the, um, then meeting Jim and Aaron and, and, and Boyston and, and Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson directed every episode of yeah, Almost Live. The yeah. Cal Ripken Jr. of Almost yeah, Live. He's he's a, he's amazing. He is. Well, I mean, he's this is his thing. How many everybody listening? How many people have you met who say the following sentence? You know what I want to do? I want to direct game shows. <laughs> what? <laughs> so what it is for Steve, I think, is he just likes that that adrenaline. Yeah. 
Ready, one, take one, take two, take seven, find him, find him, find him, take three, take nine, animation. Like, what, dude? And so Almost Live, I think, was part of that for him, where this multi-camera, you got to make decisions fast. Right. You know, know, he's funny. Everybody on that show was unbelievably nice, and that just doesn't happen on a show. I mean, I can't think of any big arguments that ensued during that time well early on there was some trauma i'll tell you about who was going to do maybe i wasn't there but but the only well you had a job pat the rest of us were freelance coming and going but the reason i bring it up is because the only hard ass on the show was was steve wilson he he would get in people's faces he knew what he wanted as a director and he could he could rub people the wrong way and piss people off but damn it he was he was right and if you don't have well, he, if you don't have one person like that, your show's not going to work. Well, it's just I think I'm just defending Steve. He has he's it's got to look good that's on not camera. A criticism, by the way. Yeah, I, you I you can't turn your back to the camera. You got to stand in the light. Yes, right. we have to do it again because the microphone is not working where it is. Yeah. I, we got to do it again right now. We have a new show coming up. We got to clear the studio. Let's go, people. Somebody's got to do that. Nowadays, you'd have a thing, a person called uh, an assistant director. Right. The AD. They, they would, would they barking would, They commands. would be the bad cop, yeah. Yeah, barking. Get, clear the fire lanes. Don't make me have to kill you. Uh, but I'll tell you, the shows that I went on to work on, like, you know, the other crew that's just really cool, if you've ever seen the show Blind Spot. Yes. I was going to bring that up. A, as we... I call a, a science fiction cop show. Uh, You're a recurring character on that show. Hey, man, look out. Yeah. Until Roman warned him the dead drop had been compromised. All right, you think you can reconstruct where this camera was transmitting to? I can certainly try. Do or do not. There is no try. Hi, Dad. Wait, what? That's Bill Nye, the science guy. Yeah, also known as my father. So, Dad, I would like you to meet. I'm Kurt Kurt Weller, sir. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Oh, thank you. Thanks. And, you, and, you're, and you go by the name of Bill Nye, but you're not. Well, it turns out, yeah, it's just such a cool thing. But I was going to say, the people on that show have a great working relationship. It's, it reminds me of the back in the day. Every, this guy, Martin Giro, just sets the right tone. It's cool. What fun for you but, to do that, too. Oh, man, it's acting. You look like you're and, having fun. Oh, gosh. So the other thing is the gal. So the most popular character, they have this very they have a striking woman jamie alexander plays jane doe the woman covered with tattoos as part of this master of this conspiracy worldwide conspiracy and they have uh, sullivan stapleton very good looking young man but the most popular character is patterson the, the young woman computer whiz who solves all the problems and and what turns out and what is she to you it turns out that her father not only looks like me, her father is Bill Nye, it turns <laughs> out, in the premise of the show. And so, I, Pat, you know, you, if we were on a talk show with actors and so on, uh, a gal's name is Ashley Johnson. She's just lovely. Yeah, she really is. Striking. Yeah, she's, yeah. Well, but well, then she's just cool. She's just fun to hang out with. Anyway, her dad died when she was eight. And I am Uncle Bill. I have thousands of nieces and nephews, maybe not thousands, but several. And so it was very easy for us to do these scenes where I played her father. I guess it's really, I've heard actors talk about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a real, it's a real thing. But why are your last names different? Oh, uh, her mother and I decided that if we had a boy, he would take his dad's last name. If we had a girl, 
she would get her mom's last name. So a Patterson gave birth to a Patterson. <laughs> Who is this guy? He's a really famous scientist. I'm sorry, sir. She, she has memory issues. Whoa! Since when are you so interested in science? And so, you know, speaking of, Tracy Conway made one remark that just changed my life. She said, you know, when you're acting, what you want to do is get a reaction from the other actors. You want the other actors to react. I mean, in, in the way that <laughs> consistent with the story and the, the script. And so, so she's on. almost saying reacting is more important than acting. Yeah. You can ask her about that. Yeah, you know, she won awards as an actress early in yeah. her career, but she's just one more thing. And then, you know, that just made a little, a, another brick in the ziggurat on the pyramid and uh, Joe Guppy, I just admired, wow, that guy could write Dog on it. And then, you know, Pat, Steve Wilson and I call each other plumber all the time. <laughs> Shake up that martini plumber. We do that all day. And it's because of your writing as JT Plummer. It's just freaking amazing. Yeah. That, that bit was, and Joe Guppy, open them jaws, Plummer. Open up them jaws, Plummer. Open them up. God, you, yeah. you, you, it's, it's so fun to have all this shared stuff that, <laughs> well, that nerds out there won't even know what we're talking about. Well, what I'm talking about, you guys, is everybody you ever meet knows something you don't. And so I picked up something from each of you, and thank you all. Each, everybody on Almost Live, on camera, writers, the crew, people worked at King TV, people worked at other TV stations, people worked at Bad Animals Audio Studio, Jim and Aaron, everybody. Yep. I got something from all of you. So thank you all. I'm not kidding. I'm not just blowing smoke. I can name a quotation from every one of you because it was really um, – that's very, it's, it was cool, you know, that's really but it, gosh, it was a lot of work, Pat. I mean, it was, I was always anxious about money and looking back, I just admire, you know, the other freelance actors, people who were used to being freelance, used to not knowing where the next paycheck was right, exactly right, coming from. Yeah. I was not used to that. And I, and I admit it affected me a lot. I, well, uh, anyway. the people I admire most in life are the people and and you're certainly one of them who just work their ass off. They, they have, they don't mail anything in. It's all hard work. And, and uh, there's no great performer I can, I've ever heard of that didn't work really, really, really hard. And if somehow you can get that message out, that sounds like we're 90 years old, but to young people, just work hard. Like, like just remember, said. Socrates complained about young people. It's oh, not yeah. a new thing. Yeah, what okay. a scold that guy was. <laughs> Except he said it in Greek. I'm not sure exactly. Just drink this, Socrates. Believe me, it'll be fine. <laughs> hey, um, as we leave here, I got some stupid random thought for you. Uh, and I, I just, I'm going to just throw it in there. But when I live near some train tracks downtown where I live, and the Burlington Northern Santa Fe train comes through all the time. And because of my familiarity and association with Bill Nye, the Science Guy show, it would always be shortened to initials, BNFG. BNFG meant Bill Nye, the Science Guy. So when I see BNSF, I always think, oh, yeah, Bill Nye, the Science Fellow.
fella. Isn't that's that, very nice. Isn't that stupid? But I think uh, it no, time. but I'm glad you go with fella. Yeah. There's other F words that, yeah. that people might put in there. Well, I can't think of what they would be. Bill, thank you. This is wonderful. <laughs> thank you, man. You are, my, you're my hero. You're everybody's hero. Well, uh, if you can you, leave God. us my, with one thought to edify us now, especially during these tough times, uh, that would uplift us. I'll let you have the final word. You guys, science does rule the world. This business of the pandemic is very serious. This business of systemic racism is very serious, but we are at a turning point. And as has been said many times, if you couldn't pick where you would be born on the earth's surface, you couldn't pick where you would be born. But for some magical science fiction uh, ability, through some magical science fiction ability, you could pick when you would be born. Strangely enough, this would be the time you'd want to be born. As messed up as things seem to be, things are actually better for more people around the world. Extreme poverty is actually lower than it's ever been by, by fraction. And so we have an opportunity, everyone, to work together, to realize we are one species on this one planet. And working together, we can, and I'm not joking, you all, change the world. So uh, thank you for having me on the show, Pat. Let's go. Let's get her done. Change the world is going to be the last word on that podcast. Thank you, Billy. That's fantastic. Thank you, man. Thanks so much. Hey, before I leave you, I just one more quick thing. I live in a place called Sun River, Oregon. Yeah, which sure. It's about 11 so. miles. I've, I've crossed country skied in Sun River. Oh, yeah. Have I bet I? you have. It's, I'm about 11 miles from Bend, Oregon, where I grew up. Yeah. So I drive from Sun River to Bend often, and there's... A, an edifice, a butte called Lava Butte. Yeah. And a surrounding Lava Butte are these vast lava fields of cinder rock and cooled off. And uh, back in, oh boy, I guess it would be 62, 63, 64, somewhere in there, they brought uh, four of the seven Mercury astronauts to bend to walk on the lava ah, fields because they, they thought that's yeah. what the moon would be like when, when, yeah. when they landed there. Of course, that wouldn't have supported a, a very good landing. But they, so there's great photos of them, old black and white photos of them in their full uh, astronaut regalia walking around on these lava fields outside mm -hmm. of Bend. Thought you thought that was kind of cool. When we sent astronauts up there, it wasn't clear what they were going to find on the surface of the moon. We didn't even know if it was a solid surface or if it was a deep powder surface. We didn't know if the rock fields were sharp or dull. We just we had no idea. It is cool, and it doesn't surprise me. They tried all sorts of things. They just threw money at it to yeah. make sure that thing worked, you know? We'll go to Bend, Oregon. There's a lava field. Let's go. Yeah, we're going to build a giant 60-foot deep dive tank so they can be in zero gravity sort of we're just gonna... but it was so crazy you think about it, that was probably early did you see those guys then you must yeah have, huh? yeah and um i'm just thinking then they got to 1969 and they got a guy on the moon the surface appears to be very very fine grained as you get close to it it's almost like a powder and it was all just to beat out the russians it seems like yeah. a silly premise for uh, trying to rush things but god dang it worked yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. So an interview I did with Leland Melvin. Have you ever heard of Leland Melvin? No. I, I, I wish I He's could a say space shuttle. these people. He flew on space shuttle twice. Okay. And he went on to be the uh, head of NASA's education office for uh, four, four years. 
and he's a cool guy and he's a black guy. And he talks about his experience with uh, this cop pulling him over when he was making out with his high school girlfriend. And he tried to get the girlfriend to say that Mel that Leland was raping her and she wouldn't say it. And he just talks about if it had gone just a little differently, he would have been in the prison system. And you just can't, if you're a black guy, you just can't get out of the prison system. Yeah. But then we also nerd out on rockets and, SpaceX and the Falcon nine and flying in space. And he has a cool turn of phrase in there. He says, when I, when you're flying the space shuttle, uh, if Yuri makes a mistake, if Mona makes a mistake, if I make a mistake, we all die. We all die. And he said, talking about his crewmates on these missions. And he said, that's what I want the world to understand that the off world experience can be brought down to earth that if we make mistakes as human race, we will, uh, we will kill ourselves. We will run ourselves off the planet. Where is that going to be Bill? On planetary.org. And uh, it's, he's just a cool guy and his, his uh, storytelling ability and his, his uh, passion really is something else. He's just a Leland Melvin. And I guess he's probably in his fifties now, but you know, when he was flying, he was, he would, he um, played, tried to play for the Detroit Tigers, but he injured, injured his hamstring and he could never make it back. And then he got a job as a chemist at NASA. So he, he never chased it down any farther. He's, he has a master's in chemistry. Well, I guess I'm glad he didn't make the Tigers because it sounds like he he did okay. He's yeah. more a more significant figure. Because but it's really uh, it's he's really a cool guy. I've been telling people about it. Well, don't ever stop telling people about such things and such people, and never lose your passion for dare I say it, Bill, saving the world. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, My best to everybody. I was honored Carry by on. this, Bill. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. All right, man. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious or daft, and you feel that you've had quite enough, just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. It's orbiting at 19 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way. galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars it's a hundred thousand light years side to side it bulges in the middle 16,000 light years thick but out by us it's just 3,000 light years wide we're 30,000 light years from galactic central point we go round every 200 million years and our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe the Almost Live, Still Alive podcast, produced and edited by Morris Patrick Cashman. Technical director is Dave Tavers. Special gratitude to the legendary Kenneth George Buford McCaw.
Almost Live's Chief Archivist. And thanks also to King TV Seattle. This program was made possible in part by the 12th century nun and mystic Hildegard von Bingen, inventor of spoken language. And by Emil Berliner, creator of the microphone. And I'm your announcer, that kid from Sluggy, Chris Cashman.